Let's begin with prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for your, your mercy and grace towards us through your Son, Jesus Christ, and for bringing us into union with him, uh, that we might uh, have uh, fellowship and life, and life that is eternal. And we pray that you would teach us and instruct us, and that we might be built up by your holy word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we come to chapter 26 in the Westminster Confession of Faith. Uh, If you're following along in the hymnal, that would be page 864. (laughs) 864. Chapter 26, there's only three uh, paragraphs or three articles in it, so we probably won't have to split it up into two Sundays, but there is a lot here. Let me actually begin, though, with reading a verse from 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, in which the Apostle John wrote, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, here he speaks of the communion of saints. Something we're going to see is that the word fellowship the word communion are synonymous. They uh, are used to translate the same Greek word, koinonia. So if I'm speaking of fellowship, and then I switch over and I start speaking of communion, I'm speaking of, of the same thing here. Um, having a share in or having participation in. And the Apostle John was writing, he was reminding them of the gospel. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, speaking of Jesus Christ, uh, the, the word of life. And he's proclaiming it so that his hearers would have fellowship with, with him, his fellow apostles. Um, and they would do so by having a common fellowship with the Father and with his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the, uh, the bond of our union, is our union with Christ. Let me go ahead and begin with Article 1 of the Communion of Saints. All saints that are united to Jesus Christ their head, by his Spirit and by faith, have fellowship with him in his graces, sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory, and being united to one another in love, they have communion in each other's gifts and graces, and are obliged to the performance of such duties, public and private, as do conduce to their mutual good, both in the inward and outward man. Uh, This is... Uh, an article that speaks of union and communion with Christ and union and communion with the saints. Um, Who is it speaking of? It's speaking of all who are united to Jesus Christ. So speaking of those who are, uh, we might say, true saints, you know, those who are regenerate, those who are united to Jesus Christ, they have communion with him, they are united to one another, and they have communion in each other's gifts and graces. If you have union with Christ, you have communion with him in all of what he did, the redemption he purchased, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, um, and also are united to one another. All those united to Christ are united to one another. And then also have communion in each other's gifts and graces, things which we have been given by Christ for our mutual good. Uh, So, Think about this in terms of union with Christ, communion with Christ, union with one another, communion with one another. 
Think of it maybe in this term. One analogy that Scripture uses is that of the branches in the vine, right? In John 15, um, that's what the, the children have on their coloring page, right? Uh, a vine. And Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Is, are we able to do anything if we're not in the vine? No, we cannot do anything. That's what Jesus said. You know, we are uh, unable. We die. We can't bear fruit. But if you remain in the vine, if you abide in the vine, if you abide in Christ, uh, then you bear much fruit. We have this union. Uh, the union is the connection of the branch to the vine. Communion or fellowship is this sharing of life of the vine to the branches. Can the vine share life with the branches if they don't have any union? No, you need the union to have the communion of life. But once you have that union, if it be a, you know, a true and good union, uh, that branch is going to receive life from the vine and is therefore going to grow and is going to bear good fruit. Uh, if you've ever tried you know, putting a branch onto a tree, you know, grafting it on, sometimes it's a good union, sometimes it's, it's not a union, and it, it actually doesn't receive that life. Um, and we would speak of that more in terms of the, the visible church and how there's mixture in it. But if we're speaking of a true union here, the branch is going to have communion in the benefits of the vine. And so the saints are united to Jesus Christ as their head by his spirit and by faith. That is how we have union with Christ. Christ does you no good if you're not connected to him. How are you connected to him? By the spirit and by faith. Uh, The Spirit unites us to Christ uh, by working faith in us. Uh, He applies this redemption to us by uniting us to Christ. The larger catechism puts it in this way. The the, The union which the elect have with Christ is the work of God's grace, whereby they are spiritually and mystically, yet really and inseparably, joined to Christ as their head and husband, which is done in their effectual calling. So when God effectually calls us to salvation, you know, by his word and spirit, uh, he effects, he creates this union with Christ by the spirit, by faith, so that we are inseparably, really, spiritually, mystically, you can think of all these terms to describe it, joined to Christ as our head, as our husband. Um, There's a number of analogies that the Bible uses. This is like the union of head and body, Christ being our head, uh, the head of the church, the head of the body. Uh, we ought to hold fast to the head from whom all the life of the body comes. Uh, he, he directs the body. Uh, we can think of Colossians 1 and 2. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it even speaks in terms of your bodies being members of Christ's body and becoming one spirit with him, those who are joined to Christ. And there you start to have a blending of the analogy of head and body to the the analogy of husband and wife, which makes sense because husband and wife are supposed to be one flesh too, right? Um, There's a a reason why those analogies go together. Um, We find that in Ephesians 5, that Christ is the head of the church and is is the, the husband of the church being his bride. You can also think of the union of a foundation and the building, that Christ is the foundation, or Christ is the cornerstone, and we are like living stones being built upon that foundation. Um, We sure hope that this building has a union with its foundation, right? (laughs) 
that way it holds together. We built upon that foundation as we come to him. That's First Peter chapter 2. As we have faith in him, as we're being built on the word of the apostles and prophets, as Ephesians 2 would say, uh, we are a living temple a, that is in union with this cornerstone. And so as a virtue of this union, um, because of it, the saints have communion with Christ in his graces, sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory. These things are yours. These things are for your benefit. You have a claim on them. Yeah, his death was for you. His resurrection is your resurrection. Uh, his glory is the glory you will share. His graces uh, are, are to be yours. Uh, these things are yours because you are united to him. We are buried with him. You have died with him. No longer to live for self. No longer to live for sin. But risen with Christ to live in newness of life. Um, Paul wants to share in the power of Christ's resurrection, suffering with Christ that he might share in the glory to come. Think of all this, this type of language of this, this communion, this fellowship in Christ's uh, redemptive work. So what Christ has obtained, he shares with those united to him. He didn't just get it for himself, but for all those who are united to him. Any questions so far on just union and communion with Christ? This communion is, as the analogy of a, a branch and vine, it's not just something that happens once. It's, some, uh, it's the rest of our life. We have this fellowship, this communion, this sharing, this receiving of life from Christ by faith, uh, which is that, that, uh, the life we live now. We abide in the vine. We receive his word. We communicate ourselves to him in prayer as this fellowship is enriched and, and grows in depth and strength uh, in our sanctification. But then all those who are united to Christ are also united with one another in love. We all have one head, and so we are one body. There's, there's not like two bodies connected to this one head. And we're members of the same organism. Uh, we are branches on the same vine and therefore form one plant. Um, think of the analogies being used. If we are united to Christ, we are... Uh, by that, united to one another. You don't even get a choice. If you're united to Christ, for good or ill, you're connected to this body. And you can be a, a dead flopping member that tries to drag on the ground, kicking and screaming, and it's not a good member of the body, but you're still part of the body. Um, that's just a fact if you are united to Christ. And therefore, you have communion in each other's gifts and graces. Uh, that what Christ has given to you, the person sitting next to you, you have a part in that. You have a share in that. It's given not just for that person's good, but for your good too. Um, and consequently, what Christ has given you, he didn't just give for your good, he gave for the good of the person next to you, to, to your fellow uh, believer, to the fellow saint. And therefore, you have an obligation. It's not like, Christ obligates you to unite yourself to the brothers. It's, you are united, therefore you have an obligation to act like a member of this body. You know, to uh, therefore have a duty to perform duties, public and private, that serve the mutual good of the saints, both inwardly 
and outwardly, both you know, spiritually and physically, uh, that you are to aid your brother and, and sister in their um, spiritual life, their edification, as well as you know, things of this life, food and clothing and uh, the things we need to live. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, as Paul is trying to build up the unity of the body in Corinth and get them to stop fighting about which leaders they follow, he says, Let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. We, we all have these things in common, so don't fight over them, you know, don't, or divide over them. These things are yours. Of course, then he goes on in chapter 12 to speak of the church being one body. Uh, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Uh, and so we ought to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, um, serving one another. And that leads into Article 2. Article 1, you might call the, the more doctrinal portion. Article 2 is uh, really on the exercise of the communion of saints, uh, the exercise of this communion. And if Article 1 perhaps focuses more on the invisible church, on those who are elect, who are truly united to Christ, uh, Article 2 uh, puts more focus on the visible church, uh, that all those who, uh, saints by profession, those who are, you know, profess the faith and their children, um, whether or not they are uni- truly united to Christ or not, they have this obligation by virtue of being members of the visible church. Um, that if they, if they say they're part of the, if they say they believe Christ, they have to own up to the obligations of professing to believe in Christ, that they are members of this body called together by the gospel. So this communion should be exercised by visible saints, two visible saints, because they are both visible saints. You know, you don't get to say, well, I'm only certain about this person's regeneration, so I guess I'll exercise communion towards that person. But I'm not really sure about the rest of the church, so I'm just going to keep to myself. You know, there's, uh, we, we ought to show this exercise, this communion, to, as it says at the end of this article, which I'm about to read, to those who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and, uh, and have fellowship with the visible church. So I'll go ahead and read the second article. Saints by profession are bound to maintain a holy fellowship and communion in the worship of God, and in performing such other spiritual services as tend to their mutual edification, as also in relieving each other in outward things, according to their several abilities and necessities, which communion, as God offereth opportunity, is to be extended unto all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. And so... Saints by profession should maintain a holy, again here these terms are kind of used overlapping, fellowship and communion. Uh, You ought to maintain this communion in at least three things, three big things that it mentions. The worship of God, that's what we're going to do in, what, less than an hour, right? To maintain uh, a shared worship of God, joining together with other saints. 
also in performing such other spiritual services as tend to their mutual edification, uh, to edify one another uh, in other ways too. And then also relieving each other in outward things according to the several abilities and necessities as far as you are able and other people need it. On the day of Pentecost, after hearing the message of the apostle, what did the church devote themselves to doing? What was the life of the church like? We find that in Acts 2, 41 through 46. So those who received his word were baptized, and those who were and, they were, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So they had a, a fellowship, a, a communion in, in the sacraments, they, uh, in the worship of God. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They uh, devoted themselves to the prayers. And they also devoted themselves to the fellowship. Fellowship especially in goods, as any had need. And there were some things about that situation were unique in the way that they sold their goods, but they still, the general principle of Sharing what you have with your brothers and sisters in need would continue throughout the New Testament uh, according to your uh, ability uh, and their necessities. Uh, In Hebrews 10, we're exhorted to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, uh, but all the more as the day draws near. We see this even in the Old Testament. We see it in our passage of the month on our bulletins, which is both in Micah and Isaiah. You know, that we ought to be calling one another. Let's, calling out to your neighbor, calling out to one another. Let's go up to the house of the Lord. Let's together learn his ways that we might walk in his paths, that we might have this fellowship together. Um, Zechariah as well has a very similar prophecy. Uh, Let's, calling out to one another, let's go to the house of the Lord to seek his favor, to call upon him. Ten men will hold on to, to one Jew and say, we've heard that God is with you, let us go with you. And, of course, speaking in, in terms of the Old Testament, but, you know, taking a believer, joining themselves to him, serving the Lord together, uh, having this fellowship. Uh, Romans 15, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you, them. If, if Christ has welcomed them, so welcome them as well. This is a fellowship of, of Christians that we might live in harmony and with one voice uh, praise our God. In 1 John 3, verse 17 if you see a brother who's in need of, of food or clothing, you know, don't, don't close up your heart against them. Uh, how is the love of God dwelling in you if you do not help him? Uh, we have this fellowship, particularly speaking of, of a brother in Christ. So you ought to worship God with one another and with the company of those who profess the true religion and their children, you know, despite the imperfections of the church, um, that you would actively maintain this. It's interesting, all the problems of the churches in the New Testament, whether it's Corinth, 
or the churches addressed in Revelation or Galatians. Um, there are times to, to leave a body, like when you're excommunicated from the synagogue. But Paul doesn't tell the Corinthians, leave this church. It is rotten. You guys need to go. Uh, he works hard first to, uh, to reform that church. Uh, he recognizes it still as, as a visible church and exhorts them, in fact, to unity uh, and to seek that unity in the faith um, and in the worship, uh, that it would be uh, purified. The church is going to be subject to mixture and error, uh, and so it takes uh, effort and, and principle to continue to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, seeking, of course, its continued growth uh, in the head in Jesus Christ. The other spiritual services that it mentions would include things like encouragement, exhortation, kind words, instruction, conversation about God's Word. Certainly, we're supposed to do it in our households, you know, as we rise up and lay down and walk by the way. This is a way that we have this fellowship in God's Word. Uh, Even reproof and admonition when needed. That, of course, should be done in love and gentleness. And it's also to be done in a brotherly way. Uh, there's distinct roles of, of a brother in Christ and the role of the elders, uh, who are told to exhort and rebuke with all authority. It's a little different than when you come to your brother and, and seek to uh, instruct them or to uh, correct them. Uh, but there is still a part for the whole body to play to seek to build one another up in a, their mutual good. Uh, I can think of uh, Titus 2, and it describes uh, the older women helping the younger women and, and teaching what is good. Uh, that there's a part for the whole body, young and old, to seek the mutual good of one another. Even the children, you can be helping to encourage one another and to use their part in the, the body. Not only, though, ought you to be thinking about giving such encouragement and exhortation but also receiving it uh, with, with grace. Uh, it's both possible for words that are intended as encouragement or words that are intended as you know, a, a, a loving correction to, to not land correctly, <laughs> to, to be spoken poorly. And so we often need to forbear with one another when it's not done well, you know, to get the most out of it. If someone corrects you and they're only half right, you know, to overlook the part where they're wrong and simply, all right, I'll, I'll pray about it, I'll think about it, and to take what good can be taken out of it rather than simply getting defensive and pushing the other person away. You know, we're, we're trying uh, to exercise this fellowship of the saints. Um, so just think of, here quickly, I'm going to run through some of what Scripture tells us about our life together. You know, love one another in John 13 and a bunch of places. Outdo one another in showing honor, Romans 12. Live in harmony with one another, Romans 12. Welcome one another, Romans 15. Comfort one another, 2 Corinthians 13. Do not bite and devour one another, Galatians 5. Bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6. Bear with one another in love, Ephesians 4. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, Ephesians 4. Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 6. Make supplication for all the saints. Or Colossians 3. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. 
1 Thessalonians 5. Encourage one another and build one another up. Hebrews 3. Exhort one another every day. And I would add that Hebrews is a great example of what exhortation looks like. Uh, It's called a word of exhortation. Uh, It has a variety of ways to try to build up and encourage and strengthen the saints uh, and strategies in doing so. Do not grumble against one another, James 5. Show hospitality to, to one another without grumbling, 1 Peter 4. And clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, 1 Peter 5. Now, this is the vision of, of church life, of uh, interactions among the church, which were exhorted to uh, in Scripture and are presented to us in Scripture. There's also the relieving one another in outward things. Uh, that's both through the diaconal ministry of the church, um, and that should seek to organize this exercise of communion. Why is there a diaconal ministry of the church? Um, it, can, it can serve to help those who are outside the communion as well, but especially those who are of the household of faith to, uh, to administer uh, this communion in outward things, uh, to help those who are in need in the body. As we see in Acts 6, there was a daily distribution to, in that case in particular, the widows. Uh, And there were deacons appointed to oversee that administration of these goods, that type of sharing that we saw in Acts. But it's also directly, you know, 1 John 3, if you see a brother and, you know, he is in need, that, you know, you don't have to wait for the ministry of the church to help. Uh, you can uh, do so directly as well. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And now, who is this communion to be offered to? As God offers opportunity, so obviously you can't do it to everyone in the world or all the Christians in the world, as, as you have opportunity as a limited, finite person, unto all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. This is very Catholic, Right? Catholic, not in a Roman Catholic sense, but Catholic in the sense that uh, we, we recognize uh, the, the universal body of Christ, uh, that our union is in Christ. And so this is to be exercised to Christians as Christians. And that's to be the identity of our particular church. You know, we, we might have other distinctives that make us different from other churches, but what's the core of our unity? It's that we're in Christ. Uh, that we call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. And that should be fundamental to our local congregation as we welcome one another in Christ. It's one reason why we don't require people to subscribe to the Westminster Confession to be a member of the church, because you don't have to subscribe to the Westminster Confession of Faith to be a Christian. Uh, You know, we're a body of Christ. Um, The officers do subscribe to the Confession of Faith. You know, they ought to uh, be held to a higher standard but we are fundamentally a Christian church, an instance of the visible church of Christ. But this communion is not even restricted to a particular church. Um, fixed local churches are organized to help the, administ- help the exercise of this communion, to give you people to uh, perhaps prioritize and to certainly have a fellowship in common worship together, as well as these other things. Uh, but 
you see in 2 Corinthians 8 through 9, the communion of saints is being exercised between the saints in Greece and the saints in Judea. You know, that's, this is a fellowship that we share beyond local churches to Christians as Christians, because we have this, this visible unity in the profession of the same faith, a faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, there's, at the end of Romans... 15, Paul says, let's see if I can find the passage. Maybe I won't find it. Oh, here. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. So you have this communion among the saints in Judea and Greece uh, in spiritual blessings, which you know the uh, saints in Judea had first and shared with those in Greece. And then also in material blessings, which those in Greece were more blessed with as there was famine in Judea, and so they sent uh, gifts that Paul was collecting for their help for the Christians in uh, Judea. And so there's this communion, both in the inward and the outward man, uh, in the local church, but then also beyond the local church uh, that we have in Christ. Any questions on anything here in the second article before we finish up with the last one? All right, the last article basically says don't, get, don't go weird places with this doctrine. There's a couple of qualifications here to make. This communion which the saints have with Christ doth not make them in any wise partakers of the substance of his Godhead or to be equal with Christ in any respect, either of which to affirm is impious and blasphemous. Nor doth their communion one with another as saints take away or infringe the title or property which each man hath in his goods and possessions. All right, so you're not God. Uh, you're not equal to Christ. And uh, private property is, is still a thing. It's not overturned by this communion. Uh, most of the Protestant Reformation documents make this point because there were Anabaptists who were trying to do away with private property and using this doctrine as an argument for that. Um, but no, communism or, or the abolition of private property is uh, it's not Protestant, but more importantly, it's, it's not uh, biblical. That even when they were sharing according to their needs and abilities, it was voluntary. In Acts, uh, Peter says to Ananias and Sapphira, you know, the money was yours to do with it. You know, you decided to sell it. You didn't have to lie about what you were doing with it. Um, they, they, he's, they still had um, the, the stewardship of that money and a choice about what to do with it and how best to use it for the good of the saints, um, that they still had uh, discretion in that way. And of course, as we see in the rest of the New Testament, the idea of completely ridding yourself of all your possessions um, was, was not followed in the rest of uh, the church. Uh, among other things, how would you show hospitality if you didn't have house or, you know, goods, you know, things to show hospitality with, um, that there was uh, to 
not to be idle, but to work with your hands. So you might have something to share, yes, but also to maintain your children, your household, your relatives. If you don't do that, you're worse than an unbeliever. You know, so there's still a place for private property. And in fact, it puts the responsibility on you, you know, how best to use that, what you have been blessed with to fulfill your responsibilities, including your responsibilities to your fellow believers. Uh, and uh, so it's not just all up to whoever ends up managing the church goods, but you have a responsibility yourself uh, to, to work and to uh, share what you have with those in need. And so this is the, the, the communion of saints. Uh, it's, a, it's a doctrine. It's a practice. Something that uh, is in the Apostles' Creed. Something that, more importantly, is in Scripture. Uh, when I had a, a very good class at seminary on the Westminster Confession, this is the chapter I wrote my paper on at the end of class. I think it's somewhat overlooked, but it's uh, rich with both uh, doctrine, doctrinal applications, as well as practical applications from day to day. How should we view the church and live in it uh, together as the fellowship of the saints? Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your grace that you have shown to us in Jesus Christ, that you have given us life and life in him, so that those who believe in him may have life and life eternally, and even to be reconciled to you and to be brought together in one body together. Uh, that we pray that you would continue to add to this number and that you would foster love within us for one another, a, an understanding and wisdom how to exercise this, not to tear one another down, not to bite and devour one another, but rather to serve one another in love, that we might be built up and strengthened and encouraged and be ready to stand fast in the day of trial by one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.